Chapters 11 and 12 of Adrift in New York. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Adrift in New York by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 11. Florence Secures Employment. For a few days after being installed in her new home, Florence was like one dazed. She could not settle her mind to any plan of self-support. She was too unhappy in her enforced exile from her home, and it saddened her to think that the uncle who had always been so kind was permanently estranged from her. Though Mrs. O'Keefe was kind, and Dodger was her faithful friend, she could not accustom herself to her poor surroundings. She had not supposed luxury so essential to her happiness. It was worse for her, because she had nothing to do but give way to her morbid fancies. This Mrs. O'Keefe was clear-sighted enough to see. "'I am sorry to see you so downcast-like, my dear young lady,' she said. "'How can I help it, Mrs. O'Keefe?' returned Florence. "'Try not to think of your wicked cousin, my dear. "'It isn't of him that I think. It is of my uncle. "'How could he be so cruel, and turn against me after years of kindness? "'It's that wicked Curtis that is set in him against you. "'Take my word for it, Miss Florence.' "'Sure, he must be wake-minded to let such a spalpeen set him against a sweet young lady like you.' "'He is weak in body, not in mind, Mrs. O'Keefe. "'You are right in thinking that it is Curtis that is the cause of my misfortune. "'Your uncle will come to his right mind some day, never fear. "'And now, my dear, shall I give you a bit of advice?' "'Go on, my kind friend. I will promise to consider whatever you say.' "'Then you'd better get some kind of work to take up your mind.' "'a bit of sewin', or writin', or anything that comes to hand. "'I suppose you wouldn't want to mind my apple-stand a couple of hours every day.' "'No,' answered Florence. "'I don't feel equal to that.' "'It would do you no end of good to be out in the open air. "'It would bring back the roses to your pale cheeks. "'If you coop yourself up in this dark room, you'll fade away and get thin.' "'You are right. I will make an effort and go out. "'Besides, I must see about work.' Here Dodger entered the room, in his usual breezy way. In his hand he brandished a morning paper. "'How are you feelin', Florence?' he asked. He had given up saying Miss Florence at her request. "'Here's an advertisement that'll maybe suit you.' "'Show it to me, Dodger,' said Florence, beginning to show some interest. The boy directed her attention to the following advertisement. "'Wanted. A governess for a girl of twelve. Must be a good performer on the piano, and able to instruct in French and the usual English branches. Terms must be moderate. Apply to Mrs. Layton, at 127 West Blank Street. There, Florence, what do you say to that? That's better than sewing. I don't know, Dodger, whether I am competent. You play on the piano, don't you? Yes. Well enough to teach? I think so, but I may not have the gift of teaching. "'Yes, you have. Haven't you been teaching me every evening? "'You make everything just as clear as mud. "'No, I don't mean that. "'You just explain it so that I can't help understandin'. "'Then,' said Florence, "'I suppose I am at liberty to refer to you.' "'Yes, you can tell the lady to call at the office of Dodger Esquire "'any morning after sunrise, and he'll give her full particulars.' "'Florence did not immediately decide to apply for the situation, "'but the more she thought of it, the more she felt inclined to do so.' The little experience she had had with Dodger satisfied her that she should enjoy teaching better than sewing or writing. Accordingly, an hour later, she put on her street dress and went uptown to the address given in the advertisement. Number 127 was a handsome brownstone house, not unlike the one in which Florence had been accustomed to live. 
It was a refreshing contrast to the poor tenement in which she lived at present. "'Is Mrs. Leighton at home?' inquired Florence. "'Yes, miss,' answered the servant respectfully. "'Whom shall I say?' "'I have come to apply for the situation of governess,' answered Florence, feeling rather awkward as she made the statement. "'Ah,' said the servant, with a perceptible decline in respect, "'won't you step in?' "'Thank you.' "'Well, she do dress fine for a governess,' said Nancy to herself. "'It's likely she'll put on airs.' The fact was that Florence was dressed according to her past social position, in a costly street attire, but it had never occurred to her that she was too well dressed for a governess. She took her seat in the drawing-room, and five minutes later there was a rustling heard, and Mrs. Leighton walked into the room. "'Are you the applicant for the position of governess?' she asked, surveying the elegantly attired young lady seated on the sofa. "'Yes, Mrs. Leighton,' answered Florence easily, for she felt more at home in a house like this than in a tenement. "'Have you taught before?' "'Very little,' answered Florence, smiling to herself, as she wondered what Mrs. Leighton would say if she could see Dodger, the only pupil she had ever had. However, I like teaching, and I like children. "'Pardon me,' "'But you don't look like a governess, Miss—' "'Linden,' suggested Florence, filling out the sentence. "'Do governesses have a peculiar look?' "'I mean as to dress. "'You are more expensively dressed than the average governess can afford.' "'It is only lately that my circumstances required me to support myself. "'I should not be able to buy such a dress out of my present earnings.' "'I am glad to hear you say that, for I do not propose to give a large salary.' "'I do not expect one,' said Florence quietly. "'You consider yourself competent to instruct in French and the English branches?' "'Oh, yes. Do you speak French?' "'Yes, madame. Would you favor me with a specimen of your piano playing?' There was a piano in the back parlor. Florence removed her gloves, and, taking a seat before it, dashed into a spirited selection from Strauss. Mrs. Leighton listened with surprised approval. "'Certainly you are a fine performer,' she said. "'What, if I should engage you, would you expect in the way of compensation?' "'How much time would you expect me to give?' Three hours daily, from nine to twelve. "'I hardly know what to say. "'What did you expect to pay?' "'About fifty cents an hour.' Florence knew very well, from the sums that had been paid for her own education, that this was miserably small pay, but it was much more than she could earn by sewing. "'I will teach a month on those terms,' she said, after a pause. Mrs. Leighton looked well pleased. She knew that she was making a great bargain.' "'Oh, by the way,' she said, "'can you give references?' "'I can refer you to Madame Morrison, "'naming the head of a celebrated female seminary. "'She educated me.' "'That will be quite satisfactory,' said Mrs. Leighton, graciously. "'Can you begin to-morrow?' "'Yes, madame. "'You will then see your pupil. "'At present she is out.' "'Florence bowed and withdrew. "'She had been afraid Mrs. Leighton would inquire where she lived, "'and she would hardly dare to name the humble street which she called home.' She walked toward Fifth Avenue, when, just as she was turning the corner, she met Mr. Percy de Brabazon, swinging a slender cane, and dressed in the extreme of the fashion. "'Miss Linden!' he exclaimed eagerly. "'This is, ah, indeed a pleasure. Where are you walking this fine morning? May I, ah, have the pleasure of accompanying you?' Florence stopped short, in deep embarrassment. CHAPTER Twelve, A FRIEND, THOUGH A DUDE Percy de Brabazon looked sincerely glad to meet Florence, and she herself felt some pleasure in meeting one who reminded her of her former life. But it was quite impossible that she should allow him to accompany her to her poor home on the east side. 
"'Thank you, Mr. de Brabazon, but my engagements this morning will hardly permit me to accept your escort,' she said. "'I suppose that means that you are going shopping. But I don't mind it, I assure you, and I will carry your bundles,' he added, magnanimously. "'That would never do. What, the fashionable Mr. de Brabazon carrying bundles? You would lose your social status.' "'I don't mind, Miss Florence, as long as you give me, ah, uh, an approving smile. "'I will give it now, as I bid you good morning. "'May I, ah, uh, have the pleasure of calling upon you to-morrow evening, Miss Linden? "'It is evident that you have not heard that I am no longer residing with my uncle.' "'Mr. de Brabazon looked surprised. "'No, I had not heard. "'May I ask, ah, uh, where you are residing?' "'With friends,' answered Florence briefly. "'As you are a friend, and will be likely to hear it, I may as well mention that my uncle is displeased with me, and has practically disowned me. Then, Miss Florence, said Mr. de Brabazon, eagerly, won't you accept, ah, uh, my heart in hand? My mother will be charmed to receive you, and I, ah, uh, will strive to make you happy. I appreciate your devotion, I do indeed, Mr. de Brabazon, said Florence, earnestly, but I must decline your offer. I will not marry without love. I don't mind that said Piercy. If you'll agree to take a feller, you'll learn in time to like him a little. I am witch. I know you don't care for that, but I can give you as good a home as your uncle. If you would give me hope, ah— uh... I'm afraid I cannot, Mr. de Brabazon, but if you will allow me to look upon you as a friend, I will call upon you if I have need of a friend's services. Will you, Wheelie? Yes, there is my hand on it. I ought to tell you that I must now earn my own living, and am to give lessons to a young pupil in West Blank Street, three hours daily. You don't mean to say you are actually poor, said Mr. de Brabazon, horrified. Yes, indeed, I am. Then won't you let me lend you some money? I've got more than I need, I have, upon my honor. Thank you. I promise to call upon you if I need it. Mr. de Brabazon looked pleased. Would you mind telling me where you are going to teach, Miss Florence? Florence hesitated, but there was something so sincere and friendly in the young man's manner, dude though he was, that she consented to grant his request. I am to teach the daughter of Mr. Robert Layton. Why, Miss Layton is my cousin, said Piercy, in joyous excitement. Indeed, had I known that, I would hardly have told you. Don't be afraid, I will be very discreet, said Mr. de Brabazon. Thank you, and good morning. Florence went on her way cheered and encouraged in spite of herself, by her success in obtaining employment, and by the friendly offers of Mr. de Brabazon. It is wrong to get discouraged, she said to herself. After all, there are warm hearts in the world. When she entered her humble home, she found Dodger already there. There was an eagerness in his manner, and a light in his eye, that seemed to indicate good news. Well, Dodger, what is it? I've been waiting half an hour to see you, Florence, he said. I've got some work for you. "'What is it? Sewing on a button, or mending a coat?' "'No, I mean working for money. You can play on the pianer, can't you?' "'Yes. They want a young lady to play the pianer at a dime museum, for nine dollars a week. It's a bully chance. I just told the manager, he's a friend of mine, that I had a young lady friend that was a stunnin' player, and he wants you to come around and see him.' It was a preposterous idea, so Florence thought, that she should consent to play at such a place but she couldn't expect Dodger to look at the matter in the same light. So she answered, very gently and pleasantly, "'You are very kind, Dodger, to look out for me, but I shall not need to accept your friend's offer. I have secured a chance to teach up town.' "'You have? What'll you get? 
I am to be employed three hours daily, at fifty cents an hour. Gee, Willikins, that's good. You'd have to work as much as twelve hours at the museum for the same pay. You see, therefore, that I am provided for. That is, if I suit. Dodger was a little disappointed. Still, he could not help admitting that it would be better for Florence to teach three hours than to work ten or twelve. As to her having any objection to appearing at a dime museum, that never occurred to him. Florence had sent for her trunk, and it was now in her room. Dodger accompanied an expressman to the house, and luckily saw Jane, who arranged everything for him. "'How's the old gentleman?' asked Dodger. "'Florence wanted me to ask.' "'He's feeble,' said Jane, shaking her head. "'Does he miss Florence?' "'That he do.' "'Why don't he send for her, then, to come back?' asked Dodger, bluntly. "'Because Curtis Waring makes him believe that she'll come around and ask forgiveness, if he only holds out. "'I tell you, Dodger, that Curtis is a viper.' "'So he is,' answered Dodger, who was not quite clear in his mind as to what a viper was. "'I'd like to step on his necktie. "'If it wasn't for him, my dear young mistress would be back in the house within twenty-four hours. "'I don't see how the old gentleman can let him turn Florence out of the house.' "'He's a snake in the grass, Dodger. "'It may be wicked, but I just wish something would happen to him. "'And how is Miss Florence looking, poor dear? "'She's looking like a daisy. "'Does she worry much?' She did at first, but now she's working every day, and she looks more cheerful-like. Miss Florence working? She that was always brought up like a lady? She's teaching a little girl three hours a day. Well, that isn't so bad, said Jane, relieved. Teaching is genteel. I wish I could see her some day. Will you tell her, Dodger, that next Sunday is my day out, and I'll be in Central Park, up by the menagerie at three o'clock, if she'll only take the trouble to be up there? I'll tell her, Jane, and I'm sure she'll be there. A day or two afterward, Curtis Waring asked, Have you heard from my cousin Florence since she went away? Yes, sir. Indeed. Where is she staying? She didn't send me word. How then did you hear from her? Dodger came with an expressman for her trunk. Curtis Waring frowned. And you let him have it, he demanded sternly. Of course I did. Why shouldn't I? You should have asked me. "'And what business have you with Miss Florence's trunk, I'd like to know,' said Jane, independently. "'Never mind. You ought to have asked my permission.' "'I didn't think you'd want to wear any of Miss Florence's things, Mr. Waring.' "'You are silly and impertinent,' said Curtis, biting his lips. "'Did that boy tell you anything about her?' "'Only that she wasn't worrying any for you, Mr. Curtis.' Curtis glanced angrily at his cousin's devoted friend, and then, turning on his heel, left the room." I'll bring her to terms yet, he muttered. No girl of seventeen shall defy me. End of chapters 11 and 12